Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Monday morning. We have an unbelievable weekend of NBA action to talk about here on the Daily Ding on the Athletic Podcast Network. My name is still Jared Weiss. I'm still joined on Monday mornings by my man Mo Dekeel. Mo, how you feeling after that one? <laughs> oh boy, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> So uh, we had a few incredible games. We had the Celtics and Wizards with an epic superstar battle going down to the wire. Same thing with the Bucks and the Clippers, Giannis versus Kawhi. We got plenty of news to get to. The Lakers offense is finally, finally alive. But we are taping this at 1 in the morning Eastern time right after one of the most shocking games of the season where the Sacramento Kings finally got two wins in a row, settled in a great performance, minute left, they're up by nine, a flagrant foul. I mean, clearly they're going to just walk away from this game. And then what happened, Mo? Just pure chaos and complete utter meltdown. I think when you look at it, the Sacramento Kings missed six consecutive free throws, including the two from the flagrant foul. They gave up a 12-4 run. That I mean, the Hornets just were in able the final to keep, minute. It's just it was it was unbelievable in the in the last two minutes and nineteen seconds. I think they were up nine and they gave up. Uh, I mean, a twelve four run in a game that they should have won. Plain and simple, there was there's no excuses. Six missed consecutive free throws. The Hornets come down. They're getting shots. Terry Rozier, who couldn't hit the broadside side of a barn all night long. Hits a three, gets fouled on a three, makes three free throws. Then they get a monster three from P.J. Washington. I mean, it was just, I'm shocked, Jared. I mean, P.J. Washington had 42 points, and that's not even the story of this game. I mean, the story of this game is just the very end there where, you know, Harrison Barnes had this incredible throwdown with a few minutes left to look like they were going to get it. Then LaMelo, he commits a flagrant foul, but then he ends up actually getting an important steal that kicks off a fast break with them down eight with a minute left. That ends up with, ends up with the Rozier three. They end up, uh, uh, De'Aaron Fox ends up attacking, but while he attacks, uh, Buddy Heald ends up spraining his ankle and the Kings made an interesting decision to bring him back on the floor to take free throws at the very end there, even though he could barely walk. Yeah, no, that, I mean, like, I understood, like, you want to get your best free throw shooters in the game for this situation because you want to just, hey, we knocked down our free throws, we're going to win, we're going to go home W's. Of course, that wasn't something they were really doing too much of in this game. But here's the thing that I'm not sure Luke Walton was really thinking that far ahead because the Kings didn't have any timeouts. It's not college. You can't call timeouts after you make your free throws. So... You know, the Hornets don't have any timeouts. They can't call any timeouts after this free throw. So there's no chance to sub out Buddy Heald, who has a sprained ankle, and now has to go defend. So basically, the Kings went into that final possession five on four. 
I mean, it just didn't make sense. I understood the importance of having Buddy Heald because of his free throw shooting, but you're not thinking beyond that play. And I think that really did hurt them. Because even if he, he he made both free throws, it's still a three-point game. You know, it wasn't like if I make these free throws, he ices the game. It was just bad thinking on Walton's part in terms of uh, moving forward beyond just the, the, the current play. You know, and the funny thing was on that final possession, Heald was just in the corner face guarding. I think it was Miles Bridges. But you had Malik Monk driving down the right side lane. And De'Aaron Fox, he's on LaMelo Ball, who's standing on that elbow. Fox could have sunk into the lane and forced Monk to pick up his dribble or try to make a move or or most likely kick it out to Ball, where then, you know, he's only a step where uh, Fox is only a step away to contest the shot. Instead, Fox just stands there like a statue and stares at the whole thing as Monk drives the lane and gets an and one, not just to take a tie it up, but to actually win the game. I was just shocked that Fox is completely shut down there a play or so after he had hit a great floater to keep them alive. I mean, you're really shocked that the Kings defense wasn't there. The, the Kings, Kings def- defense, the Kings defense, the Kings who, who who hold the worst defensive rating in the league, I think at this point still, uh, are you, I mean, and you're really surprised by that. You know what? Now that you say it out loud, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> so it all begs the question. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out by now, the Hornets won the game 127 to 126. <laughs> I thought we could bury the lead a little bit and see how much you'd figure it out. And wow. I mean, this was an offensive explosion. Uh, the Kings shot 50 for 92. The Hornets shot 45 for 84 and 26 for 27 from the line. Uh, LaMelo Ball had 24 points on 12 dimes. Malik Monk had a really nice game. He had 21 points. But B.J. Washington was just, he was perfect in this game. He ended up with 42 on the night, including some really clutch threes there. No, I mean, he was phenomenal throughout the night. And give the Hornets a lot of credit. They didn't have Gordon Hayward, Cody Zeller, Devontae Graham's been out a while. They're on, this is the fourth game of a six game road trip. Like, give them a lot of credit. This is easily a game you could have just given up on. You know, they could have punted midway through the fourth quarter and nobody really would have batted an eye. But this team continued to fight. And I think a lot of credit's got to go to James Borrego for continuing to get the most out of these guys. I mean, they got big plays from Cody Martin, Caleb Martin. I can't tell which one's which half the time, you know, (laughs) but like both of them had big plays in this game. I think overall, like just a lot of credit to the Hornets. Very impressed with just kind of the resiliency to stay in this game. I think you could tell because Cody's the one getting the minutes and hitting the shots. Yeah. That yeah. So, that makes all right. A big difference. So, you have a team that doesn't give up in the Hornets, and now you have a team in Sacramento that's lost. Is it uh, 10 of their lost? last 11? There we go. It's, it's so bad that I couldn't even remember, even though we just talked about it five minutes ago. So, uh, assuming Luke Walton is still coach eight hours from now when people are listening to this, what do you think happens next with Sacramento? I mean, look, they're really going down the tubes. It, it, it wasn't too long ago, Jared, we were talking about them when they had that win streak 4-0. They'd beat Denver. They'd beat Boston. They beat the Clippers. Everybody was feeling good about this team. And, you know, now it's basically 11 games later, and it's been a disaster. I I don't know. I'm not sure necessarily if they're going to fire Walton right away or whatnot, but... I can't imagine he, he he's going to be long for that job. I mean, they got a week until the all-star break, and then you have 
a week to install a I, new coach. I, I mean, Alvin Gentry's, Alvin Gentry's on that bench already. You have a yep. coach with head coaching experience. That usually is a sign of like, all right, well, your replacement's right here. Your your interim coach is ready to go. So they have a guy if they want to go to it. So uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Let's head over to Milwaukee where the Bucks beat the Clippers 105 to 100 after a big Clippers comeback in, the, uh, I guess, the third quarter and really maintained the fourth quarter. Giannis got it done in the end, and he had 36 points, 14 rebounds, five assists, just another walk in the park for the best player in the game. Yeah, I mean, I want to focus a little bit on the Clippers side of things because their fourth quarter was atrocious. You know, for the game, first off, Jared, they only shot seven free throws. And we can argue whether they should have shot more because of the officials and the way it was officiated. But they generally aren't a team that generate a ton of free throws. You know, a lot of the stuff they do is in the mid-range. It's in the three-point line. Not a lot in the paint. And it showed a ton in this game. They don't get easy buckets. Only scored 19 points in the fourth quarter. Like, just tough, tough ways to win a game when you don't get easy baskets. Meanwhile, you had the Bucks that were just rolling, getting out in transition, outscored them in transition 22 to 2, I think. And no, no, not I think, factual looking at the stats. 22 to 2. I mean, it, it, the Bucks were rolling in this game and and the Clippers just weren't able to hold on because everything they were getting on the offensive end were just difficult looks. And the thing that stood out in this game was just Giannis breaking through that first line of the defense pretty much whenever he wanted. Obviously, this capped off with him. catch. They, they swung the ball all the way around the floor, and then I think it was Chris Middleton swings it to Giannis, and Giannis off the catch goes all the way from the three-point line to the rim. He might, might have taken an extra step there, but he threw it down. It was just an incredible poster to cap off the win, but... It was just, you know, a team in the Clippers, especially with Kawhi and Paul George and Nick Patum out there, you would think would match up pretty nicely against Giannis. Well, like, first off, it's very hard to match up nicely against Giannis, right? <laughs> sure. He's a freak, right? Like, when we, well, let's just start there. I mean, you, you, you just hope you have enough arms and, 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 and fouls to give that you, you can hold, hold off Giannis enough. And I think that's kind of the... The situation they ran into is just, you know, Giannis was able to, to attack, but he wasn't just doing it on the ball. It was him as a screener. Chris Middleton had the eight assists in this game. I led the Bucks with that, and I think that was a big thing there, just using him almost as a creator. I mean, even on that play, Jared, as the ball's being swung around, you know, Giannis makes the big play with his long strides getting to the rim, but it's really because Middleton took one hard dribble to the middle that drew Patrick Beverly away from Giannis and opened that lane up for Middleton to be able to kick the ball to him and allow Giannis to get going down the lane for the 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 big bucket. I think it's just those type of things for the Bucks that's working well. I mean, they got Drew Holiday back in this game. I think you know they're going to work him in slowly, but they're in pretty good shape. I think Jared for how they're playing right now. Won five in a row at this point. I'm feeling pretty good about the Bucks. Yeah, and I'm glad that we're giving Middleton some praise because he was really good on Paul George. You know, really good defensive performance, was really controlling the offense well. One of the things I really loved that he did in this game was right at the end of the third quarter, I think the Clippers had just scored, and he let the inbound roll out all the way to half court. And 
I forget who was on the ball, but the person like had the ball right at their feet and they could have dove for it if they wanted to, but they didn't. He picks it up at half court and just gets into a downhill sprint and in four seconds manages to get all the way to the rack and score. And it just really, it showed just the way that, you know, Middleton, who it's been a little up and down for him over the past couple of weeks, just continues to try to fight and play smart at all times. I mean, first off, what you just described drives me insane. As a coach, like you, you're thinking about it on the defense, just stun at it, make him have to pick the ball up early. Don't let him just roll the thing all the way to half court. I mean, there, there are just issues across the board for the Clippers in that sense. And and you know what? They did well to come back in the game and take the lead. It looked like the Clippers were going to take over, you know, at the end of that third quarter. It felt like the Clippers were going to really kind of put their emphasis on this game, but you know. Give credit to Milwaukee for hanging in. I mean, it's gonna. It feels like the theme of the day, Jared, is is all these teams that won these close games just managed to hang in there. And I'm curious, what did you think of the Bucks doing, like almost this pack line defense at the end, where Kawhi keeps posting up and they're kind of everybody's standing with a foot in the paint. Giannis is kind of shading over, looking to double team. I, I mean, I, it certainly worked, right? They came back and ended up winning it. Well, it's interesting because. You know, Kawhi was actually pretty good in the post in those situations. You know, it looked like for a moment that Kawhi was taking over the game down the stretch. I mean, he had a tough fadeaway look on Drew Holiday, who played great defense on him. Next possession, he comes down, same thing, in the post, draws the defense and kicks it to Marcus Morris Sr. for a three. Then, you know, a, a play later, he has a, a face-up jumper, uh, I can't remember who the defender was, but right in that defender's face, you know, and it looks like for a moment you're thinking like, oh, wow, like Kawhi's taken over. But that was it after that. You know, there there wasn't much production from him from that point. And the the Bucks defense, again, it's just a lot of length because it's not just Giannis. It's Brooke Lopez. You know, you got just a lot of long arms out there that, that make things difficult for him. I mean, Giannis had the big block on him as it looked like uh, – Leonard was about to get into his rhythm into a little mid-range jumper and Giannis comes in from behind and pulls off that big block. It's just a big play there and it makes things challenging there for the Clippers. Well, the Bucks, they're half game behind the Nets, full game behind the Sixers. It's tight at the top of the East. And another tight one, the Celtics somehow survived the Washington Wizards 111 to 110. Jason Tatum with a thrilling run at the end of this game. He finishes with 31 points and three buckets in a row to close it out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Brad Beal, 46 points. The the you know, the brother-brother relationship really taking over this game. Let's, let's start with uh, Tatum and how Boston came back with him just uh, getting to the rim over and over and over again in the final minute. I mean, it was really impressive. Like, just 
the the constant ability of getting to the rim, finishing through contact, even though maybe fouls weren't called. And, you know, the biggest play of the game, Jared, was was him making a layup and then creating the biggest wet spot possible so that Beal <laughs> would slip and, and turn the ball over. I mean, that was a huge play right there. I, don't, I mean, it was a bit weird, but you know, monster play there from Tatum. You know, just that foresight to thinking, I'm going to create a wet spot. Um, no, just, I'm just kidding and being a little bit silly. But he was just relentless in attacking the paint and constantly kept going at the Wizards. And I mean, that's really what kept the Celtics in the game. Yeah, and it was funny was both of these teams are trapping like crazy in the fourth quarter. And for for anyone that didn't see the ending, uh, Mo wasn't exaggerating. Literally, what happened was uh, the second to last layup that Tatum hit with like what was it, fifteen seconds left or fourteen seconds left? Fifteen seconds left. Yeah. So Tatum land Tatum falls to the floor after the layup and kind of you know rolls on the floor a little bit. And then the inbound of Brad Beal and Shemi Ojale and Tatum trap Bradley Beal against the baseline. And Beal pivots and steps on that wet spot and slips out of bounds. And it was just like it, it, it almost dirty is not the right. It, it felt like a you know like a like a trick of some sort. It was just so ridiculous to see that happen. Um, and then of course Tatum gets the post up isolation on Beal, spins baseline, and then just you know, flies through everybody to finish with an incredible up and under attack. I mean, this was. Beal and Tatum really at their absolute peak. Let's talk about Beal for a minute because Beal, he had 46 points, 16 for 29 from the field, 11 for 12 shooting. He couldn't really miss. One of the only misses he had in the game was uh, the Celtics managing to, again, trap him on the inbound with a couple seconds left, and he couldn't even pivot his way out of it or get his way out of it. He ended up having to shoot it over Tatum, and actually somehow it almost went down, which would have been really one of the best shots we've seen in a long time. But this was really Beal at his absolute peak in a stretch in which he's been playing the best basketball of his life. It's really interesting that you brought up that well, it's not interesting. You're going to bring up that final play from Beal. But it's funny. I think if he turns the other way, if he catches it and turns towards the baseline, he has an immediate look at a jumper. But instead, he catches it and turns towards half court. And that allowed the the, the Celtics to come trap with Tatum. With, I think it was Semi Ojale coming over to be able to force that trap there. And then, you know, he forces up a shot. And it damn near went in. It was pretty impressive in that end. But, I mean... This has been Bradley Beal all year, right? I mean, he's been putting up monster numbers. He leads the league in scoring. He's He's been unbelievable in that sense. And, you know, it, it's just, it's not surprised that so many of these games have ended up in a wasted effort because it's just more often than not ending up being a loss for the Wizards. You know, and frankly, the Wizards played a really good game, but it was both teams were blitzing on the opposing stars. And you saw that, the Celtics, uh, with Kemba Walker handling the ball for the most part, he kept trying out those double teams, then hitting Daniel Tice on the short roll. And Tice, he ended up having four jumpers in a row, just kind of completely wide open, basically, because Robin Lopez was abandoning him. While on the other on the other end during the fourth quarter, the Celtics were blitzing Beal, leaving Russell Westbrook wide open in the opposite corner, and the ball kept finding its way to Westbrook. And I think Russ hit one three at one point, but otherwise wasn't able to capitalize on it. And that gave the Celtics just enough stop so that they could climb their way back into it. Yeah. I mean, he, he made one big three down the stretch in the, in the fourth quarter, but then misses another one when they were up three. I mean, here's the thing, Jared, this is another one of those games I thought was over when they trapped B 
trapped Beal, he gives it up to Robin Lopez. Lopez swings it over to Davis Bertans. Beal cuts, gets a bucket there. And I thought, okay, this game's probably over right here, you know, and I think with 45 seconds left. I mean, he, he even did the, the Jet Terry airplane thing as the Celtics were calling a timeout. It, it, this is this one's going to sting. A lot of these teams that drop these tough games, this is going to stay with them for a few nights, man. Like, these these are some really bad losses. Yeah, you know, of the two previous games we did in this show, this was a lot closer to the Bucks clippers one, and that it was just a nice battle at the end than the Kings completely falling apart in this one. I mean, Washington, even though they lose in this hot streak, gets dampered a little bit. I mean, they're continuing to play at a very high level. Yeah, but, you know, they're also up five. You got to win that game. Well, Lakers-Warriors didn't quite turn into the thriller that we were all hoping for, but it was good to see the Lakers, after a rough losing streak, finally get their offense back up. They had 117 in this one. They beat the Warriors 117-91. and And Dennis Schroeder was back and looked pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, it's been really good for the Lakers. I mean, obviously without Anthony Davis, they're struggling, but the same time when they lost Anthony Davis, they lost Dennis Schroeder to the COVID protocols, and that's where the struggles came from. They just didn't have enough offensive firepower and everything relied on LeBron. And the big thing that showed up to me mostly was the Lakers weren't getting out in transition. In their last two games since Schroeder's been back, they've been getting 25 and 22 points in transition. That makes a big difference for them. They're able to get going and get out in an attacking. In tonight's game, Schroeder led with six assists. That really kind of... I mean, how often does a team with LeBron you know, not end up with LeBron leading the team in an assist. Like this is a, a bit of a upset almost in the, the stats there for, for Schroeder. And I think it was a big thing there that it allowed LeBron to kind of get some rest here in a uh, important way moving forward for the Lakers, just in, in the sense of trying to survive without AD, they need to have the rest of their guys rolling. All right, well, let's get to some of the other news from the weekend. Most notably, Victor Oladipo turned down a two-year, about $21-ish million a year extension from the Houston Rockets. Not a surprise because he's been expecting to get more on the open market. Uh, It's certainly been mentioned a lot whenever this reporting gets done that the Rockets still have time to be able to trade him. So uh, what do you think that signals? Is that that just very obvious business that he's going to play the marketplace this summer? Or is that a sign that another move could be coming? I think it's kind of both, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I don't think he wants to tie himself to the Houston Rockets. You know, they're in the midst of a terrible losing streak right now. I think it's up to 11 games and just got smashed by the Memphis Grizzlies. And, you know, for the Rockets, I think they're going to look around and see if there's something they can get by flipping him right now. And instead of risk losing him in free agency. So I think it's kind of a game where, where both sides, you know, are going to kind of just try to see what what they can get the most for now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out, Jared. But there were a lot of rumors almost immediately when Victor Oladipo was traded to the Rockets that he wasn't going to be there long term. Yeah, I think pretty much all of us have heard those whispers at some point over the last few months. And who could blame him? Because... Uh, to quote John Wall after the Grizzlies beat them 133 to 84 on Sunday, John Wall said, This shit is ass. Terrible. So 
Maybe not the place you want to be tying down your future right now if you're Oladipo. Uh, but speaking of the future, we got some people in the dunk contest, it appears. Shams Jarania of The Athletic reported that Knicks rookie Obi Toppin is expected to participate. Not a surprise. The guy is known for throwing them down hard. And then we also have the Blazers' Anthony Simons, who is definitely a, you know, a little guy who could definitely get up. And then Cassius Stanley, who... If he, you know, if he jumps and his head isn't scraping the rim, then something went wrong. So are you excited for this year's dunk contest, even if there aren't really any established names at this point? No, but it has nothing to do with the established names. It'd just be very just curious as to how they're going to do this at halftime. Is this going to be the longest halftime ever? Uh, how I mean, the dunk contest usually takes, what, like an hour or so? Yeah. So... But they also waste a ton of time with all the pomp and circumstance and commercials and stuff like that. So I, I guess they could really they could really streamline it and just like have like have Cassius Stanley yell Hulu has live sports as it goes up for a dunk and you can just save a commercial right there. I mean, I'm sure there's ways they can integrate everything. We will find out. Yeah, both 24 people. Uh, Austin Rivers, not on the bench with the Knicks, uh, with Derrick Rose in town. It sounds like Austin Rivers is on the outs in New York, probably not going to be there past the trade deadline in a couple weeks. Do you see Rivers becoming a role player on another contender? And I do say another contender because we were talking about the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, I don't know. He's not moving the needle one way or another for any of the teams. Fair enough. And just because we're talking about it, I mean, we can't go through this weekend show without talking about the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks are in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. They're 18 and 17. I mean, they're also, if they fall one game back in the standings overall, they fall to 10th. So it's not exactly the biggest accomplishment in the world, but it certainly is amazing to see the Knicks sitting up there. Do you see the Knicks as being sustainably solid and being even potentially an outside of the playing tournament team? Yeah, I mean, they they look like it at this point. I mean, some of it has to do with just kind of the Eastern Conference a little bit being so bunched up. I mean, it's, you know, you lose two games, you can go from being the fourth seed to, to being out of the playing seed area. So it's just that tightly bunched up in that conference. But, you know, you got to give them credit. We've been waiting for the other shoe to drop, and they've just continued to hang in there. And Julius Randle making the all-star team for the first time ever. I think they're just rolling along. I mean, hey, man, it's the, the, the Knicks are enjoying it. It's the roaring 20s, and I think that's what we're going to get in New York. I mean, it's incredible. You have Emmanuel quickly as a rookie in the late first round. He's there. Is he their third leading scorer right now? I think there's a few guys bunched in like 12 points a game. Alfred Payton is doing pretty well as our starting point guard still. And RJ Barrett, who everybody was ready to write off immediately as a rookie for some reason, having a pretty solid year. I mean, it's, it's incredible how much they're getting the most out of their talent than pretty much any team in the league. And that is going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about all the other podcasts we have on the Athletic NBA Network, from the Athletic NBA Show to No Dunks, the House of Strauss, all your favorite local team podcasts. And don't forget to go to theathletic.com slash ding, where you can get a deal. You got to capitalize on these deals while they're still here. You got to subscribe to The Athletic. You can get my recap of the Celtics Wizards game that I forgot to plug earlier. You can get all the great coverage that we have around the NBA, around every single sport in the world that you want to read about. So that's going to do it for us today. Mo, take us out of here. 
Dang Dang. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.